And welcome again to uh, Living in Spanglish with Ed Morales here on WVAI 99.5 FM in New York City. Um, tonight we're going to have another amazing show of uh, bilingual, bicultural um, rumination and music and uh, talk about politics and uh, things that are not serious. My name is Ed Morales. You can find my work on uh, edmorales.net. Um, I am a, <clears throat> I'm a journalist masquerading as a sound technician tonight. Uh, hope you're having a great time in all the hot weather. Tonight we're going to have some special guests. We're going to have an uh, interview with um, the former governor of Puerto Rico, Aníbal Acevedo Vila. And we'll be talking about um, the situation in Puerto Rico. And uh, also we're going to have uh, Saulo Colón, who is a co-editor of New Politics magazine. And we're going to be talking about uh, Alexandria Cortez Ocasio and the new socialist bent in mainstream politics. So that's going to be fun. We're also going to have a lot of music. We're going to have our regular salsa block, salsa, as you know, which we do here every month on Living in Spanglish, which is Musical Chairs, which is WBAI, which is 99.5 FM in New York, and we'll be back soon. The wise in the house without obsessing. It's a lot to think about, I'm still processing. Tis joy in the morning made our pillow wet. Then night fell and we turned into silhouettes. Your body next to mine dancing real close. Step left, step right, then a pirouette. It would appear as that we really do believe in us. But it's so hard to believe all we need is us. Believe a kiss on a cold day could be enough. Look at the stars and wonder what it is they see in us. Where is this leading us? That's all I'm asking. Love comes in every color, but the fact is, I never needed 50 shades of gray. Just turn the lights down low and give me every shade of blackness. Uh.
My mustard seeded faith is planted on wicked soil and only garners fruits of hatred, degradation, and death. Oh, the irony, in death do I find my escape. fly beyond the veil of deceit with which you choose to hide my reality. I fly far beyond valleys of vindication where you hide my freedom. I fly past trees of hope that lay dry in summertime Saharan desert winds. And I fly through clouds of judgment which no longer hold me hostage to my tone. I roam.
igual Tu calidad de vida le da igual Desde lo alto todo le da igual La Para sobrevivir Y en la suya Vive el insensible Siempre que su lodo Hay algo imprescindible Y es que para un cerdo Es físicamente imposible Alzar el cuello Hasta ver el cielo Le da igual Desde su oficina Le da igual Tu calidad de vida Le da igual Desde lo alto todo le That was Le Da Igual by, uh, that was the most recent, well, I don't know if it's the most recent, but uh, it's a recent single, 2015, uh, which is not that recent, but uh, from Cultura Profetica, the uh, excellent uh, reggae slash political uh, band from Puerto Rico. And that song is, uh, even though it's three years old, uh, it still remains in effect. Uh, it's about... Um, <clears throat> those who were, uh, you know, part of the privileged classes, uh, one percenters, maybe two percenters or five percenters who um, 
<clears throat> are doing well in the political climate and uh, um, so their day-to-day -day life is, is not affected by uh, the encroaching uh, implosions of our of our economy you know which is said to be uh, booming but really who is it booming for it's booming for corporations and not for workers um, our environment uh, there was a recent report uh, from Australia that we are getting close to uh, <clears throat> having uh, climate change happen no matter uh, what we do about reducing uh, emissions which is kind of frightening so uh, igual <clears throat> is about those who uh, it's all the same to them um, w as long as uh, you know their swimming pool uh, is being cleaned and they got their uh, summer house. So uh, those guys better, uh, and ladies as well, better wake up soon because uh, <clears throat> we're really entering into difficult times here uh, and we all need to be uh, vigilant and um, <clears throat> engaging in some way uh, with the uh, increasingly negative politics. And of course, we, uh <clears throat> we before that, we heard uh, Terrence Blanchard with... Uh, Featuring the E-Collective uh, with Breathless, which I'm sure has been played here a lot. Um, <clears throat> um, and um, the uh, haunting refrain of uh, I Can't Breathe. In that case, um, you know, has been in the news recently. Um, there seems to be some attempt to, uh, to uh, discipline the officer involved in the Eric Garner case in uh, Staten Island, so I guess we'll see where that goes. Um, uh, three years too late, but uh, there's always time for justice. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a lot of things. Uh, my uh, recent trip to uh, Puerto Rico, um, I'm, I'm trying to do some research and accumulate some material for a book I'll be writing for Nation Books about uh, Puerto Rico which is kind of a history of uh, U.S. colonial relationship with Puerto Rico culminating in the, uh, the debt crisis, which has really been um, uh, affecting Puerto Rico in the last uh, two to three years. And, um, well, I was invited to be on a panel for the Association of Professional Journalists in Puerto Rico. Um, that was quite moving. Um, I was on a panel with four journalists who uh, were covering the hurricane uh, closely and they were residents of Puerto Rico and um, there's still a lot of anguish in Puerto Rico um, you know not only among um, <clears throat> those who are most directly affected but even those who are relatively comfortable as professional journalists um, have uh, you know there was a woman who um, broke down and started crying in the middle of the panel um, there, there's really, uh, it was a really traumatic event, and we cannot um, underestimate that. And and the trauma of the event was, of course, made worse by the, you know, horrendously uh, inhuman response by the uh, current administration. Um, and uh, yeah, I spent some time in uh, Piñones um, with uh, Maricruz from uh, Copi. Um, which uh, uses um, Afro-Puerto Rican culture to um, uplift the people in uh, Piñones, uh, Luisa Aria, 
And, um, I mean, among the many other things that I did, I, I did uh, uh, get uh, the uh, former governor of Puerto Rico, Aníbal Acevedo, be allowed to sit down and talk with me for about an hour about various things. So I'm going to be playing some of that uh, interview later. Um, you know, he has a very interesting uh, legal perspective. Um, it's coming from uh, someone who's been a lifelong member of the pro-Commonwealth party, which is really under fire because the Commonwealth um, sort of doesn't exist anymore after the imposition of La Junta. But I think you'll find that uh, Governor um, Acevedo Vila has um, been thinking about uh, what new political directions um, could be undertaken. And um, you got to say that he is somewhat on the progressive side of that party. So... Um, and then also later in the program, we'll be talking with Saulo Colon. I'll talk about that later. Right now, um, lots of uh, jazz flowing. And um, I just wanted to play you a bunch of jazz that um, has been recently released. Uh, Afro-Cuban jazz. Can't get any better than this. Aquí viene Harold Lopez Nusa.
Okay, that was uh, Dairamir Gonzalez from uh, his new album, and that song was called uh, West Coast Exchange. And then before that, uh, Conversando con el Agua um, by Harold Lopez, Nusa, which I, I hope to do um, de vez en cuando estoy conversando con el agua. Um, I kind of feel like I, I got some el agua going. Um, but uh, I think uh, I wind up um, acting like Chango too much, which mystifies me. So um, if, you, if you do catch me in the street, remember that I am actually a Ligua, even though I may seem like I'm trying to put on airs of Chango. Um, and so that is a fantastic uh, way to get into what we're going to do next, which is introduce the um, segment uh, that I have planned here. Uh, that features the interview with uh, the former governor of Puerto Rico, Aníbal Acevedo Vila. Um, yesterday, there was, uh, there was <laughs> luckily for, for us, que solamente hablamos inglés, there's an English version of uh, what happened with the recent uh, ruling by um, Judge Laura Taylor Swain. If you don't know who Judge Laura Taylor Swain is, she's from Brooklyn. And um, she had been appointed to oversee the Title III procedures or proceedings, tramites, como dicen en Puerto Rico, um, regarding uh, the implementation of uh, the bankruptcy-like bankruptcy -like proceedings of um, PROMESA. It's called Title III. Um, so um, she recently ruled against a lawsuit that was brought by the governor of Puerto Rico, Ricardo Rosselló. And his name is spelled with two S's, by the way, like Ross Ayo. I often make that mistake. Um, and uh, the, he was suing um, because he, against uh, the, the evident fact that the Fiscal Oversight and Management Board, led by Jose B. Carrion, and appointed by uh, President Obama and uh, House Republicans and Democrats. Um, the uh, PROMESA board was, anyway. I think it was Obama who directly appointed uh, Jose B. Carrion. Um, uh, this uh, lawsuit uh, um, was against the fact that uh, the oversight board could uh, impose uh, a government uh, a budget um, over the heads or you know against the wishes of the of the current government. So Judge Laura Taylor Swain um, endorsed the budget and uh, and in that way um, gave the oversight board the final say in implementing the budget, which. Um, you know, includes the uh, cutting of the Christmas bonus, uh, which is actually a big thing in Puerto Rico, because if you can imagine, you know, uh, Puerto Rico would be the poorest state of the union if it were admitted as a union. So um, imagine a country where, you know, people are not making that much money, and so they depend on this Christmas bonus to do any Christmas shopping. So this is actually going to further hurt the economy, because that's a huge... Um, uh, <clears throat> opportunity for the uh, businesses on the island to make most of the money that they will during the year, which is the same thing happens in the U.S. Um, so imagine if U.S. workers were guaranteed a Christmas time bonus every year, 
And the sales, uh, Christmas sales in the U.S. were predicated on that. Wouldn't that be a huge blow to the economy? Wouldn't that make it more difficult for the economy to recover? Well, these are part of the austerity measures that are being imposed by the Fiscal Oversight and Management Board. And uh, the reason I bring this up is that I, in my conversation with um, former Governor Acevedo Vila, we talked about a previous uh, ruling that uh, Laura Taylor Swain made uh, with regards to a lawsuit that was uh, brought by uh, lawyers uh, backing a, a set of creditors who were challenging the um, appointment of the oversight board as unconstitutional. Of course, she ruled against that. And the interesting thing is that um, basically her logic was that since uh, Puerto Rico was an unincorporated territory and it was therefore a creation of Congress, it didn't necessarily... Um, fall under the scope of constitutionality. In other words, certain she said specifically that certain laws um, and legal practices that happen in Puerto Rico do not necessarily have to follow the Constitution, which is basically separate but equal. And that's uh, part of the things that we say in the conversation. Anyway, um, it's a little bit broader than that, and so here now I'm going to present my conversation with Aníbal Acevedo Vila. First of all, I want to thank you, uh, Governor uh, Acevedo Vila, for joining us on Living in Spanglish. Um, what, what is your re immediate reaction to just the last thing that happened, which was the approval of the plan to restructure the debt of... Uh, uh, PREPA? Of, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a tech... No, let me how to put it. It's, I was opposed to the one that was uh, reached by the past administration mm. because I thought the, that a haircut of only 15% was too small. Mm. This one is better than that one, mm. apparently. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a financial expert. Mm. Right. I read it. I okay. read it. I have talked to two or three people. Mm. Uh, and more information is coming out. Uh, it's better from that, from that one because the haircut is not 15%. It could be between 26 and 33%. Mm. So in that sense, it's, it's a better deal. But I still think it's too little. Mm. Because remember that you're dealing with PREPA, which everyone, everyone recognized that it's in bankruptcy. Mm. And then on the other side, you have the central government, who well, that is also in bad shape, but I believe it's in better shape than PREPA. Mm -hmm. And then the bonds of the central government has the constitutional guarantee of the government of Puerto Rico. Right. PREPA bonds don't have mm -hmm. that. So my, my, my concern is that if this is the best deal we could get with PREPA, then the other deals probably are not going to be as good. Right. So my hope was to try to be something like 50, you know, haircut of 50%. Right. I, you know, I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not privy of the negotiations, mm -hmm. so I don't know what's going, what's yeah. happening. So that's my initial, right. my initial reaction. It's better than the last one, mm -hmm. but I was hoping for, for more. But you think the motivation was maybe to uh, make it more appetizing for its privatization? I mean, uh, uh, I, the way it's structured, yeah. uh, I'm not sure if it will affect privatization at all mm, because okay. because you are basically creating a, a source of revenue mm. to pay for those bonds, separated right. from whatever PREPA does uh, in the future. I do think that the pressure from Washington, from, mm. from the Republicans in the House, uh, from Sherman Bishop, mm. that we, we had the hearing last week, remember? Yeah. I think that the message was to the board and to the governor, 
either you get a good deal for my bondholders uh -huh. or I will take over. Right. And I think that that really mm -hmm. put pressure on the, on the board to mm -hmm. try to cut a deal before there was any kind of movement from, from the Republicans in, in Congress. The, the, the points that I understand she made was that because it was in a territory, then it's not necessarily bound to the Constitution because the con it's uh, the territory well, is the creation. Uh, okay, of let, the let me let me. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna share okay, I'm gonna share with you. <laughs> I didn't go to law school, but no, no. With the, but okay. There, there, nevertheless, <laughs> I'm gonna share with you a law review uh, article that okay. I published. All right. Before Promesa was approved, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is called "With Plenary Powers Comes Plenary Responsibility." My legal, moral, political, economic theory mm -hmm. is that. If we are a territory, which means we have no, all the powers we have are delegated by Congress. Mm -hmm. And if we are under the plenary powers, then who is responsible for the debt? Mm -hmm. Right. And I use the example, mm -hmm. if you have a 16 year old kid, he can get a driver's license and it's legal, he can drive mm -hmm. a car. It's nothing illegal, but if he has an accident, mm -hmm. the father has right. to respond. Mm -hmm. Right. So if, if the fact that I have my own government called government of Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. if the legal theory is that I, Congress, gave you that delegation, but I can take it away, yeah. then the debt is the responsibility. And I go right. back on that law review uh -huh. to the 1997 Jones Act, uh -huh. in which Congress gave the, the government, the people of Puerto Rico, the option to elect the Senate, mm -hmm. the House. And on that law is the first time that they authorize Puerto Rico mm -hmm. to issue bonds, to sell bonds. Ah. So it's a federal law. Okay, I have to read that. Yeah, it's the federal law mm -hmm. that says uh -huh. that we can, as mm -hmm. a territory, sell bonds in the market. Mm -hmm. California doesn't need mm -hmm. permission from Congress. Right. Because, so my whole theory is that uh, legally, mm -hmm. the United States uh, is responsible for the debt, right? Because we are we are their own future. So that's that's yeah. my then. That was one of my questions. You're still holding on to that idea. If you want to go further on it, that's cool. But from my point of view, I felt that there was so much rush and so much uh, rush to promesa, and um, and refusal to examine the terms of the debt that it seemed to be perhaps in fear of exactly what you were talking about, that legally that might actually be found. Because... I have and, no well, doubt. No, no, I have and, no doubt. And, and you think all no the doubt. hedge fund people know I have, no, know doubt. I have yeah. no doubts about uh, sure. it. Sure. Okay, so I have, on. Yeah. If yeah. you read PROMESA, yeah. now in PROMESA, yeah. they say that Congress mm -hmm. is not responsible for our debt, but mm -hmm. they put that in 2016. Right. Sorry. In the previous laws, mm -hmm. there's nothing about that. I discussed that in my law review uh -huh. article. So now going to uh, Judge uh, uh, Swain' uh, decision, she goes even further mm. because I'm not arguing mm. that we're not a territory. Mm. My point is, look, even if you are a territory under the plenary powers of Congress, mm. plenary power cannot mean mm -hmm. that you don't have to respect the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And one of the mm -hmm. principal values of the U.S. and that constitution is separation of powers. Mm -hmm. right. Why? Because it says separation of powers, and I, I teach a class of separation, uh -huh. of, pa separation okay. of powers, is not a theory of how to have a, an efficient government. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. Separation of powers is how you protect the people from right. tyranny. Mm -hmm. So right. it's, an, it's a right that we have. Mm -hmm. Because the whole notion of the founding father mm -hmm. was if you give too much power to one person right. or to one institution, mm -hmm. 
then that's that's the seat of tyranny. Right. So we're gonna have a, an executive branch, but you know, uh, 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 head of agency have to be uh, confirmed by the Senate, mm-hmm. and then the House and the Senate they will approve the laws, but the president can sign them right. into law. You know the whole the sure. whole. Sure. Yeah, I get now it. Now they create a government for Puerto Rico in which they give to the to the board executive and legislative powers at the same time. Right. So, so my my argument, which perhaps that was a radio mm-hmm. show that that you remember with mm-hmm. with uh, Rolando, and he agrees with me, mm-hmm. is that I'm not saying we're not a territory. Mm-hmm. I'm saying even if we are a territory, you Congress have to guarantee to the people of Puerto Rico a minimum mm-hmm. scheme of separation of powers. Mm-hmm. Then Judge Swain, after that, right. basically said, uh-huh. no, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but a Congress can do whatever they want with mm-hmm. the territories regarding the organization. Of their government, right. which means, yeah. honestly, that she's saying that Congress tomorrow could say, "We're going to pass a law saying that Aníbal Acevedo Vila is mm. going to be the governor f- of Puerto mm. Rico forever." Right. Uh-huh. That's true. Yeah. They could do that theoretically. And my, my theory is, you have right. to put some constraint yeah. to that uh-huh. power. Right. You have to say, "Look, mm. it's yeah. true; they are your territory, mm. but you know you have to give them a minimum." Yeah. Of of re- of re- because the separation of power is is is, is almost a civil. It's almost uh, a bill of rights, mm-hmm. you know, it, because the notion of separation of power is to protect the people. Mm-hmm. So if you're saying, when I deal with the territory, I don't have to respect separation of power, it mm-hmm. makes no sense. Right. That in the constitution you have a clause that basically destroy the whole uh, uh, purpose of the U.S. Constitution. So that right. was that's my legal mm-hmm. argument. Right. Uh, uh, and that one, uh, it's part of the complaint that was filed by the uh, legislators from the Partido Popular right. recently before the judge. Oh, okay. Uh, another question I would ask, I mean, maybe it's a small point, but, you know, tanta gente aquí se quejan that, you know, the, we're paying for the, well, I live in New York, but, you know, the, in Puerto Rico, we're paying for the, uh, the junta, right? Oh, yeah. And in, the, in her remarks, she says that... Uh, one of the one of the parts of a rationale was that that because paying, of because of that. Do you that, think that they did that purposefully to evade a legal challenge? Or no, I I, I, yeah. I think I uh, think that they did mm. that because they don't want to put a penny to solve Puerto Rico's problem. Uh-huh. I don't I don't think Congress but, was thinking about mm. uh, uh-huh. a potential legal challenge. Well, it's convenient though. It's uh, but <laughs> yeah. but. Mm. Uh, for example, I don't know if you had a chance to read mm. the other opinion yeah. that was mm. issued by the judge from the Court of Claims that mm. makes the total completely different conclusion. Uh-huh. It basically says that the board is a federal entity. Uh-huh. No, I didn't read that. Okay, I can, mm. I can, I can, okay. I can give you that mm. one. Uh, and it says it's a federal entity because mm. it's, you know, it's created by Congress yeah. and it's to exercise uh, congressional powers over territory. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a federal entity. Right. Uh, so, so... Maybe, yeah. They they wanted to say that the board was not a federal entity, and and, and they put it in writing. But mm-hmm. legally, that doesn't bound the court to make that interpretation. Mm-hmm. And 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 Judge Swain, she went really too far. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of the most imperialistic, mm-hmm. colonialistic opinions I have read in uh-huh. modern times. Wow, really? That's a great quote. Yeah, yeah. Because even mm-hmm. Sanchez Valle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which is the Supreme Court case right. that basically said that we have no sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Even on that one, the language that the Supreme Court used was, was, trying, to, was trying to be neutral. Uh-huh. You know, but the language that Joshua used mm-hmm. in, that, in that opinion basically says, you know, you can name a king for Puerto Rico if you want. Mm-hmm. 
and that's an insult to the people right. of Puerto Rico. Well, you know, I know it's all according to the law, you know, and then I find it, you know, like the other day I saw that Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that Antonin Scalia was her friend, which I found shocking, but, um, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird because she's known as sort of a, a liberal judge and she's African-American and from Brooklyn and um, it, it's, uh, it's just her interpretation of the law look, that's what we have to look at. Dealing yeah. with, um, with, with yeah. the place that Puerto Rico play, the mm -hmm. place that Puerto Rico plays in right. the real, within mm -hmm. the United States, it's, right. it's an issue that not too many people understand. Mm -hmm. And I think she came here, and yes, she doesn't understand mm -hmm. the historic and even the legal relationship between Puerto Rico and the United States, right. and that made her mm -hmm. make those statements. Right. Uh, and I, I use, mm -hmm. in, in my radio show, I use all the time the analogy with, with slavery, mm -hmm. you know, right. to, to say, sure. oh, Congress had the power to do that because legally, mm -hmm. Puerto Rico is a colony, is like saying, well, slavery was legal, so don't, don't oppose slavery. Right. Or, as I said, well, since slavery was legal, that gave me the power to take the newborn kid from a slave and take it away from the mother. Right. Wait, wait. Okay, maybe slavery mm. is legal, but you shouldn't go that far. Yeah. So my argument yeah. is, uh -huh. why then you say, oh, they are a territory. So since they are the territory, they don't have to comply. Congress doesn't have to comply with mm. separation of powers. Right. And then the next one right. is, uh, they kind of point a king also. Come on, right. you know you have right. to put some limitations. Yeah. Even even if you recognize that it's a territorial relationship, right? And the language you use over mm -hmm. there, it's it, it, it's actually her language is separate but equal. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's right. the language that she used in yeah. that opinion in 2018. Uh -huh. And I agree with you. Mm -hmm. An African American mm -hmm. coming from New York, mm -hmm. it, it, it's kind of surprising. Yeah. I yeah. don't think she did it on purpose. I think she doesn't mm -hmm. understand the real background of mm -hmm. what that means. Right. Because the territorial clause was put there thinking about territories, piece of lands. Mm -hmm. Then after it's the Hispanic American War, it was more people, like right. we Puerto Ricans. And that whole notion has to be revised. Yeah, and they invented the whole idea of the unincorporated Un yeah, territory. Which is not on the, in yeah. the Constitution. Right. Abstractly, the political idea of the Commonwealth Party just seems invalid and you know at this point because the commonwealth almost doesn't exist with the imposition of the junta well i've been yeah. talking a lot about that yeah. because okay. it was the, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the the party turned 18 years old mm -hmm. uh, on july 22nd and i published an op-ed about that and uh, and i have been making some challenges mm -hmm. to the new to the actual leadership of yeah. the partido popular <clears throat> because i think that we have lost our vision of what we want to do with Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. There are many people still in the party that think that Commonwealth is something valid and it was uh, created back in 1952. And mm -hmm. I have to say, maybe I believed that in the mm -hmm. past, but I have to recognize that with PROMESA. When you, mm -hmm. know, when you have a constitution, and then on top of that constitution, you have a non-elected body that could basically approve the budget and decide what whatever, then what happened in 1952 really never happened. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that has been strong words, uh, but I firmly believe that. Mm -hmm. uh, and the whole notion that Commonwealth was something different from other territorial relationship it is, is no longer the case. And mm -hmm. we have been mistreated by Congress, we have been mistreated by the executive branch, we're mistreated by the courts. So my challenge to the Partido Popular is that we have to come up with a new 
I said we need a new economic relationship with the United States. Mm -hmm. And that new economic relationship should evolve into a new political relationship. Uh -huh. Maybe after 80 years, it's time to say we need a new vehicle. Maybe, right. maybe the Partido Popular is no longer the alternative. Right. It's tough for me to say that. Uh -huh. I, I think we have to mm -hmm. answer those questions in order mm -hmm. to, move, to move forward. Well, I mean, in that case, and you know, I don't want to ask too politically charged a question, but in terms of your relationship with U.S. parties, like uh, the recent proposal by Bernie Sanders yeah. and Elizabeth Warren, would seem to be a good basis for yeah. you know that kind of uh, new definition for the party, as opposed to the previous uh, DLC kind of thing, which actually gave you a promise. You know, a lot of people forget that, uh, despite uh, Trump's paper towel tossing, it was uh, <coughs> Obama administration. No, it was Obama, about, it was yeah. Obama administration right. and it was driven by the mm. Obama's Treasury Department. Right. They were the force behind mm. PROMESA. So you, do you feel that making alliances with uh, uh, a Bernie Sanders type proposal is I was the first. I was, yeah. I was the first yeah. political leader okay. to endorse a Bernie okay. Sanders here in Puerto Rico. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, so I was clear from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think we need to educate Washington and and you know the political centers and the economic power centers of the United States. We have to educate them about what really is Puerto Rico. There's mm. number one, they think in Washington that the only issue is statehood and that's not the case. But those who have a different proposal, we haven't been able to explain to them what kind of proposal it should be. So that's that's something that we need to start working. And we need to sit down with people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and explain to them, look, give us the economic tools for economic development. Mm -hmm. uh, I know it sometimes is very strong, but when after Maria, everybody was saying, oh, they are Americans. Mm -hmm. And I do, I do say this with a lot of respect. I'm not an American. Mm -hmm. I'm a U.S. citizen, mm -hmm. right. but I'm a Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. right. And maybe many for, for Americans, it's, they say, well, what, you're not American? <laughs> no, I'm not American. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's a big, big distinction that has to be made. Right. So what about this uh, idea of the auditing the debt? You know, I did a story um, two years ago, and um, I actually felt that it was more important at that point for this. And now there's a kind of resurgence with this new organization, Auditoria, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have that supposedly the within Title Three, there's supposed yeah. to be yeah. and. Uh, and the junta itself is yeah. supposed to do a report. So, how do you assess all those things? I mean, I, I how think, important I think is it should the, have been yeah. done from the beginning? Yeah. I, is I, it I, almost too late now, or is not? I don't know if it's yeah. too late. I have to, yeah. give, I have to, I have to yeah. say that I'm a little bit concerned. It might uh -huh. be too late because if right. they reach an agreement between Sorry. the bondholders and the government uh -huh. and the junta in the next two or three months, then the the audit will be irrelevant. Yeah, that was uh, the former governor of Puerto Rico, Aníbal Acevedo Vila, and we thank him once again for appearing on Living in Spanglish. Um, really enjoyed the conversation, and um, we are also praying for the people of Puerto Rico. We love Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. We also love Puerto Rico. <laughs> we are also praying for the people of Puerto Rico.
Huila Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And we also love Puerto Rico. <laughs> and of course, it's Donald Trump with his insipid remarks of uh, 2017 after the hurricane. And uh, just want to talk a little bit about people doing activism in uh, Puerto Rico, about around the issue of Puerto Rico. Um, lots of people are doing really strong work, um, journalism and activism. I just read here that um, Francis Nokia has announced a new initiative. Um, you have Uprose, you have uh, Casa Pueblo. I didn't even get a chance to talk about uh, Casa Pueblo. Well, I really wanted to have um, Arturo Masol come on the show, but we just couldn't get it together. But I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, Arturo Masol, who um, is one of the co-founders of uh, Casa Pueblo with his father, Alexis Masol. And Casa Pueblo is uh, an organization in Puerto Rico that promotes um, clean, uh, renewable energy, mostly through uh, solar power. And um, it's a remarkable place to visit. Uh, and you can see how they run everything on uh, renewable energy. So it turns out that um, I was supposed to sit down, have a sit down with um, Arturo Masol for my, for my book about Puerto Rico. And um, he had to cancel. He actually agreed to it um, a couple of Fridays ago. <clears throat> and um, that same Friday night, he was uh, stopped by the police in his town of Aguada. And um, from the way he tells it, uh, the pretty ridiculously trumped up uh, charges, um, mostly having to do with uh, obstruction of justice when he was originally stopped for um, not having renewed his registration on this uh, classic old Jeep that he has. And then he was given a um, breathalyzer test because he had been at a pizza restaurant with his daughter. And um, you should read Arturo Masol's Facebook entry about it. But what's significant about this, I mean, you know, he claims that the, pre the test was um, administered, that uh, the officer did not want to let him see the results, that the officer claimed he was uh, 0.081, which was just over the 0.08 limit. And um, he said that he, uh, Arturo Masol said that he wanted to take a blood test um, while in custody, but um, he was refused that. And then instead he was charged with, um, with obstructing uh, justice and not with the original violation about the uh, registration on his Jeep. So um, what's significant about this is that uh, the same week, um, the, the court of, uh, of uh, Justice uh, uh, Taylor Swain, um, in the court of Justice Taylor, Taylor Swain, there, there, uh, there was an agreement between the electrical authority and creditors um, uh, to um, <clears throat> restructure the debt. And so it's an amazing coincidence that um, if you read the Intercept uh, article about um, the battle over electrical energy that appeared uh, recently by Kate Aronoff, um, you know, we, we point, I mean, she points out to the, uh, the issue that, uh, you know, here's Arturo Masol and um, Casa Pueblo and many other um, grassroots uh, providers of solar energy not being allowed into the conversation at all. It's a perfect time for Puerto Rico to reconstruct its um, 
power system by using a lot of solar energy. But of course, um, they're cut out. Uh, the fossil fuel energy is favored because fossil fuel is, is right now the only way to produce electrical energy in Puerto Rico. And then right after that, you have this really strange arrest of um, Artur Masol. And um, it's, it's really um, it's, uh, disquieting um, to see how, uh, you know, basically um, an environmental activist uh, is harassed in this way. I can't think of a better um, lead-in to our salsa segment. Salsa! That's right, when you hear that sound, it means that it's time for our salsa segment here on Living in Spanglish. And you know that uh, when we do the salsa segment, we make a special appeal to those of you out there who might want to regularize your contribution to WBIFM because we're a listener-sponsored station. We don't take money from corporations of any kind. Um, and we depend on you to uh, continue to broadcast. There was a wonderful uh, segment, I think, that uh, Linda Perry recorded, which uh, pointed out that uh, it uh, takes $200 for every hour that we produce here. And uh, so uh, that uh, is something that we, uh, we have to, since we don't uh, have advertisements, we're not uh, beholden to any outside special interests, only to the uh, interests of our individual producers and um, whatever agreements we come to here at the uh, station WBAI. And so if you want to regularize your contribution, it's very much like having a magazine subscription you, uh, you become a WBAI buddy. You go to the uh, WBAI.org website and you find the button that says WBAI buddy, buddy and you press that button and you, uh, you find a way to uh, set a rate that you can pledge to donate monthly. So once again, when you hear the sound, that means you're not only set to listen to some, you know, unos sonidos de salsa que no, que no se pueden sacar de tu mente por el resto del día hasta el fin de semana. Entonces, vas a bailar y eso fue algo que empezó cuando escuchaste a Living in Spanglish con el Morales. Cuando escuchas ese sonido, Sabes que ya no, no, solo, no solamente es tiempo para auditar la deuda. Auditoría ya. Es tiempo para donar un poco de dinero a WBAIFM. So you can um, be happy uh, all weekend while you're listening to or dancing to. And now here's a song that you've heard many times by Eddie Palmieri. Potencia tendrá 
justicia verá en el mundo los desafortunados con el canto del tango del tango la justicia yo reclamo justicia tendrán justicia verán el mundo y los discriminados Recompensarios tendrán No serán, no serán perjudicados Si no hubiera tiranía Justicia verán el mundo y lo que deseamos Con el canto mi tango Oye mi tango, la justicia yo reclamo
sabor con el ritmo Dándole vida a este conjunto musical Unidos en una sola pieza Modernos los rumberos Nos vamos a tocar Rechazando a aquel que no combata Y respetando a quien no sepa Yeah.
That's a message from Hector Lavo from many years ago. Um, and then before that, we heard Indesuktilu, uh, which is really uh, one of our favorite songs here at Living in Spanglish, uh, WVAIFM 99.5. It's Ed Morales here with you. In the midst of our salsa block, Ray Barreto. Uh, with an indestructible, and then first we heard the uh, <coughs> the immortal song Justicia uh, by uh, Eddie Palmieri, and I believe that was Ismael Quintana on vocals. Um, three sort of uh, of those uh, salsa songs from the '70s and '80s that uh, put politics uh, front and center, which was eclipsed by the. Salsa sensual, salsa romantica, salsa monga that followed it. And of course, there are those of us who still enjoy dancing to salsa monga. Why? Because it's fun. You have to have fun sometimes. But, you know, uh, it was great when you had all this uh, politics uh, at the forefront. Um, there should be more of that. Uh, there are some of artists out there who are reclaiming that tradition. But now, for something uh, completely different, having just been in Puerto Rico, I've noticed how, and Miami too, I, I stopped there for a second in Miami for no good reason. Um, I'm start, I've started to notice uh, that uh, Latin trap is really just taking, I know starting to notice is kind of dumb, you know, but uh, actually I've been hinting at it for a long time on the show. Um, it's really uh, becoming a ubiquitous element of uh, of one's life if you're you know not just sitting in your house all the time and you go outside and you hear uh, what people are playing in cars and, and clubs and things like that and uh, love it or leave it uh, Latin trap is here to stay there's a lot of stuff going on uh, with that uh, there are some songs that um, are being played a lot. So I'm going to play something uh, along those lines, and th this is not necessarily all Latin trap, but we're going to be in that spirit here just for a couple of songs on Living in Spanglish. En el cuello pa' calmar la sed Mi mano en tu cadera pa' empezar Como es, no le vamos a bajar Más nunca, mamá Pa' 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 baila Placata, placata Como ella lo mueve Sin parar, sin parar Las ganas de comerte Ahora son más fuertes Quiero tenerte Y no te voy a negar Estamos claros y ya No te lo voy a negar Estamos claros y ya 
Ni quién te cree A mí se me importa que sea más de 10 Si tengo como 20 detrás de mí Tú lo que te dolió que no pienso en ti Ahora lo que quieres habla mal de mí Porque fui yo que te boté Yo te boté De mi vida te saqué Yo te saqué Sentía nada por
Yeah, you're listening to the uh, karaoke version of Debote, which is uh, the monster hit uh, these days. Um, and uh, before that, we heard the uh, <clears throat> the female response to uh, Debote, which is, uh, of course, about a <clears throat> young guy who's done with his lady for one reason or another and uh, Kat Santana you know uh, well she has plenty of reasons to uh, to putting someone in the friend zone and uh, so I thought I'd put on the female uh, version of this so that you could uh, so you wouldn't have to be uh, assaulted by the uh, official uh, debote which is uh, something that uh, something of an all-star uh, tune featuring Casper, Neo Garcia, Daryl, Nikki Jam, Bad Bunny. The list goes on, but we, we're not playing that. We're just uh, playing the karaoke version, so we can temporarily erase the the uh, male version of Debote uh, for uh, in favor of Cat Santana. And before that, we heard uh, Nikki Jam. And Jay Balvin, which uh, with the big hit uh, Equis, that's today's, uh, that's I think number two in the charts. So of course we have Equis uh, in honor of the fact that uh, Latin Equis, or Latinx, or Latinx, uh, my new book uh, coming out on Verso Press on September 25th. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's coming out, I'm going to be talking about it more, uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, talks about uh, racial identity in the United States for Latinx people and um, hopefully we'll uh, break some new ground with that um, gonna have a few events uh, in New York I think three or four I can tell you uh, where they will be and then you can confront me angrily if you want or just or offer some sort of ambivalence or praise whatever is your desire and the first thing that we heard is uh, was Anita with her song uh, Medicina. Anita is an artist from Brazil who um, did a song in Spanish uh, trying to take advantage of the languid backing tracks of trap, of Latin trap, which is lo que estoy tocando ahora para donar mi voz. And um, I guess uh, this is a good opportunity to uh, move into our next segment, which we're going to be um, <clears throat> talking with Saulo Colon, co-editor of New Politics magazine. Awesome dude. Um, gives it all uh, for education and um, editing a magazine that uh, helps to define what we mean by socialism in 2018. That rhymes, magazine in 18. So um, let me introduce that uh, segment with um, just a quote here of uh, Alexandria Cortez Ocasio appearing on Mario Cuomo's, no, I'm see, uh, Andrew Cuomo's brother, what's his name? Chris Chip? No, it's Chris on CNN. Why is it that our pocket 
pockets are only empty when it comes to education and healthcare for our kids? Why are pockets only empty when we talk about 100% renewable energy that is going to save this planet and allow our children to thrive? We only have empty pockets when it comes to the morally right things to do. But when it comes to uh, tax cuts for billionaires and when it comes to unlimited war, we seem to be able to, be, to, to invent that, num that money very easily. And to me, it belies a lack of moral priorities that people have right now, especially the Republican Party. My conversation with uh, Saolo, which uh, follows, really covers a lot of stuff about how we think about candidates like our, uh, Alexander uh, Ocasio-Cortez and uh, I just want to go on record uh, saying that um, I'm really appreciative of what she's doing um, in our discussion we will have an open-ended uh, evaluation of that here's me and Saulo Okay, it's Ed Morales on Living in Spanglish here, and I'm, I'm talking uh, on the phone with uh, Saulo Colón, Saulo Colón, uh, who, who is the co-editor of New Politics Magazine. Um, welcome to uh, Living in Spanglish, Saulo. Thank you, Ed. Good to be here. So what I thought we'd talk about today is uh, what are the, you know, what uh, this amazing uh, victory from uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez has suddenly opened up uh, within the Democratic Party and in the media discourse in general, uh, you know, the, uh, a new kind of left plank um, that includes the word socialism. And I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, what is meant by socialism. And so far, what I'm seeing from uh, Ocasio-Cortez is that it's basically a restating of a lot of uh, New Deal ideas. Um, which are, you know, not necessarily as left as a lot of people uh, who, who are fighting for socialism uh, believe in, but at the same time, you know, might be embraced by those on the left as, as a way to actually uh, to, to push the discourse, you know, not necessarily just the Democratic Party, but the whole political discourse, to the left, and I think it's been kind of successful because you even get the right wing now is is upset about it, and they they're putting together these fake videos about it. So, what are your uh, general feelings about the way that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez represents socialism? I mean, your your magazine, right, is is uh, is is has a, that kind of political orientation? No, exactly, and I mean, one, we are a, a socialist magazine, but you know, we do kind of we're a very broad, um, socialism understood broadly, you know, there's people who are um, democratic socialists and then there's people who are kind of like more revolutionary socialists. And, and I think there's an appreciation for what's happening with candidates like um, Alexandria. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of, there's also a critical position of it because it is, there's a longer history of the Democrats, um, of the Democratic Party kind of using candidates like that or supporting candidates or co-opting these candidates um, and really kind of getting rid of um, any socialistic platform that they might have. And as you said, um, you know, she's very much kind of reiterating and saying a few things that sound basically like New Deal Keynesianism, um, New Deal politics, which is, you know, the same critique that was said of 
of Bernie, right? That when he was talking about democratic socialism, when he was running for president, um, some of his stuff, for some people who are um, self-identified socialists, you know, don't really sound that socialistic, right? Um, but within the context of the USA today, even those lukewarm socialist appeals um, are getting a lot of traction, right? Mm -hmm. um, which kind of states, you know, just how bad the situation has gotten that policies that used to exist in the United States or the remnants of those policies um, are getting uh, attention um, again, right? So, you know, I, I think the same way I think you worded the question is the same way we're, we're kind of dealing with it, right? Which is excitement that there is a possibility of, you know, better politics developing at the same time worried that it just gets co-opted into the nonsense and the uselessness of the Democratic Party again. And right. that has happened over well, you know, one thing that I've been, you know, I've been trying to keep track of the many media appearances that she does, and it's almost impossible to keep track of all of them. Yeah, you um, might as well give up. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, what she mostly seems to talk about is the mechanics of uh, political organizing, you know, which is very useful, but it, um, it, it doesn't... Um, you know, it doesn't address, uh, and a lot of times she just has this sort of her platform, which she repeats, you know, which is essentially a good platform, but it doesn't seem to reflect um, a lot of active uh, visioning and thinking about what that implies. You know, how do we come up with a, a rhetoric or a discourse um, to fight about what's against what's going on now? I mean, I think, Ed, I think that's true. But I think that's actually, I mean, in a sense, like, that's true, but I don't know if that's totally a fair criticism of her, mm -hmm. because in a sense, that's exactly what she is, right? Mm -hmm. She kind of developed as an activist at Boston University, right? right? She interned um, for Kennedy, um, liberal uh, Kennedy in Massachusetts, went on to be an organizer um, for Bernie, right? So in mm -hmm. many ways, her background has been um, in that field. She's kind of, you know, developed as, um, a, a, a political organizer of that sense. Um, other folks would have a different understanding of political organizer. Um, and so in many ways, I don't know if she can actually speak, and this is not a, this is, I'm not talking bad about her, but, you know, she is relatively young. I don't, mm. She doesn't have a world of experience in political organizations or as a candidate or anything like that. So I think in a sense she might be honest mm -hmm. when she reveals, you know, those, those positions. Um, and some of the things that have popped up in the last couple of weeks, you know, where she spoke about Palestine and wasn't exactly sure where to go and the right wing attacked her, but then the left wing is kind of like, what are you saying? Well, part of it is that, you know, she, she, is, she joined DSA, and if you've noticed, she's really kind of not mentioning DSA that much um, anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so she joined DSA as part of that kind of like surge of people who joined DSA after Bernie, um, uh, after his campaign. And so not that she was doing it uh, at least I don't think so, um, in a way like Cynthia Nixon, which seems like very much just to get the endorsement, I think she's honestly attracted to a new set of politics. But she's not a long-standing member who's really be, kind of like developed within that organization and the different traditions that it represents. Like, for example, someone like um, um, Julia Farasal. I think she is kind of like the new face of younger people in America, you know, this kind of generation that is really attracted to these politics and trying to actually figure out, well, what the hell do they actually mean? Well, you know, I agree. Uh, you know, just one last thing about that is that, you know, uh, the one other uh, criticism that happened, which I saw on Twitter, uh, and I don't really know how accurate it is, but 
apparently she had this uh, plank of the platform that had to do with foreign policy was removed. And then she answered it and said she don't know how that happened. And I don't know whether it went back in there. But the point I want to make is that mm -hmm. I do think that foreign policy is really important to any um, leftist movement that really wants to make change because I think what we've had for too long is uh, just this taking care of uh, people in the United States at the expense of people in the rest of the world. And uh, that kind of, you know, the Im imperialist or the globalist ventures that goes on with big capital. So that kind of, uh, you know, obviously you get the immigration crisis is coming from bad foreign policy. So I, I think it's important for uh, strong candidates to at least engage in critique of that. I, you know, I think in many ways, what Alexandria represents is like a battleground, mm -hmm. you know? And it's a battleground where, you know, you have forces on the left battling, you know, basically the Democratic Party and the different forces within that um, for partially for, you know, for, for her, I guess I want to say, but really it's for what she represents. Because look how they've been trotting her around. You know, the fact that you said it, you were like, oh, my God, there's all these media, um, you know, I can't keep track, all these media presences. Well, how did that happen, right? How did she, you know, come through? Um, you know, defeat Crowley, which was mainstream, you know, uh, uh, Democrat machinery, um, and be what she is now. And part of it is that the Democratic Party is really kind of trying to position itself um, with her, using her, right? Mm -hmm. and so in a sense, she's a battleground. You know, all that is true. Let me ask you something, and I, I don't mean to spring this on you, but, you know, I was just doing some poking yeah, around right. today. And, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but OpenSecrets.org, uh, which is run by the Center for Responsive Politics or Responsible yeah. Politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they have, uh, they have the latest filing of um, Ocasio-Cortez's donors. And, you know, all oh, in all, no. she, she only had, it's only about $75,000 altogether, which is still minuscule. But... Right. Um, for the first time, like the now the fourth largest donor at uh, three thousand nine hundred dollars is uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, there's a couple of other uh, kind of uh, you know corporate lawyer firms and uh, no real estate yet, and one company that develops uh, outlet malls, you know where you can. So I mean, and there, and you're, we're talking about donations of you know. $3,000 or less, except for the Chase one, which, as I said, is now the fourth largest. I mean, how do you think that affects her rhetoric about saying that she does not take corporate contributions? I think on one level, you know, um, it'd be great to ask her, you know, like how aware of you of where exactly these contributions come from, you know, and, and what do they signify? You know, um, so I think, I think that having that information is, is, is useful, and I wonder, you know, honestly, not trying to uh, evade or anything, but you know, I wonder honestly how how where she is of each of those um, um, donations. But on the other hand, you know, I think this is exactly how it happens, right? I think you know this is exactly how, in a sense, the you know the two-party system operates, right? You know, the little donations, you know, because we talk about it and it sounds so systemic, right? You know, it's like we can save the system, the institution, you know, and it sounds like it's this abstract thing, but it's people, right? And it's, you know, donors and it's networks of donors and it's people connected to each other and it's, you know, folks who work at certain places who use the institutions that they work at as vehicles of donation, you know, to have some kind of influence, even if it's a hope of influence, um, on candidates. 
And so it's not that surprising, but again, it's slightly surprising that, you know, some of these things have already happened, these donations already occurred, like the one that you mentioned, right? But those are not coincidental, right? I, I think this is exactly how, um, when we say something like the Democratic Party operates, I think this is how it does. You know, it has individuals, institutions that are connected to it, and they donate, and this is how they try to have some leverage um, on it, right? Either by saying, you know, look, you're not totally clean, regardless of your rhetoric, because look what's there, or two, by actually trying to say, if you actually want to be a, a, a candidate, you know, and you actually want to win, right? It takes money to do so, right? Yeah, man. So okay. I guess it kind of just proves the point, right? It gives us more evidence um, to kind of say that, you know, she is a battle rep. Yeah. Right? You know, we're trying to influence her, and so are they. And one of their main things that they can do to influence is money, because it's not ideas. That's probably where we have more leverage on our side, but they have more money. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, well, you know, I, I don't really want to, I don't want to sound like I'm extremely uh, cynical or, or skeptical about Ocasio-Cortez. You know, I'm, I'm just uh, trying to put out some facts for, you know, a good open dialogue and, uh, you know, I, I, I do want to hope that uh, she's going to make a difference um, uh, in, in Washington. Another thing I want to um, talk to you about, too, is like in your latest issue, it was in the latest issue, right, the Dan Labatt's uh, article about um, the DSA uh, election to uh, endorse uh, Cynthia Nixon? Yeah, actually, it didn't come out in the... Uh, it's, it's on uh, a web? It's a web? It came out, uh, on, yeah, it came out online. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, it's like, this is exactly, this is the battleground, right? This is exactly the tension that probably many socialists feel, which is, you know, how do you engage with the broad numbers, masses, whatever word you want to use, of people, you know, many who do engage in, um, in electoral politics of some sort, right? But the truth is, in this country, almost half does not. So on one level... You know, we need to be engaging with the people who are paying attention to what's happening politically in the world. And on the other hand, we need to pay attention to the people who kind of rejected that and, you know, pull them back in on some level of engagement. That doesn't always mean electoral uh, engagement, right? And, um, and so I think, it, it, I think it was clearer for many people, um, the issue of Cynthia Nixon, um, uh, you know, that in no way is she really a democratic socialist, you know. Um, she probably is attracted to the interpretation that people are giving to democratic socialism. Um, currently, right, she probably sees herself uh, in, you know, in, in alliance with some of those uh, values. Um, and I think that's fine. It means that, you know, there has been a level of upsurge uh, of these ideas and practices that is having an influence. I think that's good. Um, but, you know, clearly she's kind of running um, as a candidate. She sees the DSA as a force that might be useful. Um, you know, she is taking on Cuomo, who is clearly the establishment. It's going to be a very difficult race um, for her to, you know, for her to win. So it's kind of utilitarian what she did. And so that's a little bit more obvious, I think. But some folks thought that this could be a good tactical move. And so there was that vote in DSA to do so. And I think Dan was like, no. Like, I mean, you know, if it's worth discussing Alexandra, uh, Alexandria, you know, because... Um, maybe she's, I don't want to say more honest of a candidate, but, you know, a candidate that can still be influenced from the left and actually um, represent, you know, a better, a better possibility. Um, Cynthia Nixon, uh, is, it's harder to say that, you know. Um, I don't personally know the person, but from what I understand and what I've read, um, it seems, you know, she will most likely be a, a, a typical liberal Democrat. Um, 
And so that DSA endorsing her candidacy might actually have more negative ramifications for the organization. And that, I think, was really the concern that people had, not just about the candidate itself, but about a socialist organization endorsing, you know, candidates and playing the game within the Democratic Party as a capitalist party. You know, folks are concerned that then you kind of weaken the possibility of any real sense of, you know, socialism as an alternative uh, politics in the United States. Like, what, what, what is your uh, view of uh, socialism right now? It's going to be a whole show, right? Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> in in, in the last exactly few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so without, like, sloganeering or, or, or pamphleteering, right, just, you know, socialism will win. Thank you. Good night. Um, you know, I, I think your question is a, is a really good question, and it's not just about what's happening um, in the U.S. Mira lo que está pasando en Venezuela, you know? Like, there's a, there's a real crisis happening there. Um, there is, you know, some of these things, the, the leftists that kind of, the, the, like, as they call it, the pink tide in Latin America has very much, um, you know, many of those folks have been either removed or defeated or, you know, the right wing is definitely on the march of the U.S. and in Latin America. Um, and part of it is because on one level, some of the social ideas that folks were promoting um, were challenging certain things and accommodating others. One example is, you know, can we really push some of these politics that socialists have talked about for years? For example, one politic is, look, if, if the people, the workers, right, the people, you know, end up becoming the owners of the means of production, meaning, you know, that they are the ones who are making the decisions and profiting collectively equally, you know, off anything that we do. Um, and, you know, it, there's something very common sensical about that, right? But that's how extreme our society is right now. It right. doesn't seem common sense that people who actually create the wealth, that actually spend their days working in a place, in and out, that they should be the ones who make the decisions and make the money off their labor, right? That mm -hmm. should be common sense, but it's not, right? Mm -hmm. However, can you really do that mm -hmm. in the ecological situation that we're in now? Right. Meaning, you know, is it good enough for people to be like, okay, we're going to have a cooperative, and we're going to have a cooperative mining organization, and we're just going to blow up this mountain, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in order to get the, the, the minerals that we need, but it's a cooperative, so that's good enough. It's not good enough, mm -hmm. not anymore. Not mm -hmm. when we've seen, you know, the repercussions in terms of climate, the environment, pollution, and all of that. So in many ways, some of these um, socialist, uh, you know, experiments that have, that have existed in places like Latin America, they didn't push it. Sometimes they, and understandably so, if, you know, society was poor, they had to use the resources that they had, um, for example, like Venezuela, you know, and use its oil and all that stuff. But that is clearly a contradiction, because if oil is part of the problem, if fossil fuels are the problem, you know, we can maybe use some of that for a minute, but we clearly need to transition out. Um, and so not grappling with that contradiction, I think, affected some of these um, some of these experiments to the point where some of them, you know, lost or are under attack. Um, and so I think within socialism, I, uh, the ideas and the practices, there is kind of like a rejuvenation happening. But we need to go further than that and talk about how capitalism self-produces, uses, consumes, you know, um, transfers, you know, what, what are the products that are created uh, in the world for what? For what purpose? Where does it come from, right? That's a harder conversation. It's one that we need to have. Um, not everyone is there yet, um, or they're there, but on different, you know, different parts of the, the spectrum. Um, 
But I think, in a sense, that's where we need to go, right? But how do we get there? I mean, so ultimately we can have this discussion, but at the end of the day, how do we get there? And that brings us back to the, the other discussion, right? This is how do we buy for power, right? How do we get people with an understanding of the discussion that we're having into positions where they can actually have some influence in politics and policy that will allow people to live better, right? How do we get into that? How do we do that? That is, and so we come back to, you know, this situation. Right? We can't even we can't even get Medicare for we can't even get health for everyone. Mm-hmm. How are we ever going to challenge health for the planet? Mm-hmm. All right. So thanks uh, really a lot for coming on to uh, Living with Spanglish, uh, Saulo Colon. You just want to let listeners know how they can uh, read uh, New Politics. Yes, definitely. Thank you for the plug. Um, so um, check it out. There's a new summer issue coming out um, in August. Uh, most of that has been uploaded right now to the online webpage. The online webpage. You can find it New Politics. That's N-E-W-P-O-L.org. N-E-W-P-O-L.org. Uh, check it out. It's an independent socialist magazine, and uh, please contact us if you can. Okay. Thanks again, Salo. This is Ed Morales on WBAI-FM New York. Uh, we're here once a month on a show called Living in Spanglish. Um, <clears throat> I'm a text journalist um, masquerading as an audio technician. Um, playing a lot of music and um, trying to reflect that uh, bilingual, bicultural thing that uh, Latinx and uh, other, anyway, pretty much anyone who uh, <clears throat> is not in the mainstream has a double consciousness because we understand what the mainstream consciousness is and we understand our own trip. So Latinx is just a version of that. Uh, it's a way to avoid uh, <clears throat> being put in a box uh, so, um, <clears throat> once again, we're uh, getting towards the end of uh, another chapter of Living in Spanglish. And before we go, uh, one last commentary. Article just came out in uh, NME. That's uh, New Musical Express for all you punk rockers. And uh, it's an article um, about uh, Morrissey. And it's called... Um, can King of Controversy Morrissey keep his most hardcore fans, Latino Americans, on his side? And it uh, goes on to talk about uh, how Morrissey has uh, made comments in support of far-right leader Tommy Robinson and, uh, and of course, Nigel Farage, the infamous. Um, and, you know, strangely enough, it's, it's hard for me to understand because I'm here from the East Coast from the Boogie Down, and uh, apparently Morrissey has a huge fan base in uh, on the West Coast in Los Angeles uh, from uh, Mexican Americans and recent Mexican immigrants and other Latinx people. I kind of got the Smiths when they first came out; it was it was pretty good stuff. But uh, I, I just don't get this thing with uh, Morrissey. I hope I hope everyone uh, can recover and. Um, we can have, you know, because we invented emo anyway, you know. I, I don't get, like, the bending over backward to uh, praise Morrissey thing. Strangely enough, uh, what's taking place uh, later this summer, there's a, there's a festival called Tropicalia, which I've been getting emails about. That's going to be held in Long Beach. That's California, not Long Island. And um, the headliner of uh, Tropicalia, which is Again, a kind of a misappropriation of uh, a word that goes with uh, Brazilian music from the late 60s. 
um, is Morrissey. And um, incredibly enough, uh, the second largest name on the uh, flyer is Cardi B. And um, as, as much as, uh, you know, I, I, I can't go with Cardi B's uh, blatant materialism. I, I just can't understand how Marcy could be headlining over Cardi B. What's wrong with you guys in LA, huh? Okay. Um, that's enough of that. This has been another incredible episode of Living in Spanglish with Ed Morales. You can read my work on edmorales.net. My new book, Latinx, The New Force in Politics and American Politics and Culture, comes out on September 25th on Verso Books. Um, so um, you should try to follow the case of uh, Arturo Masol. I hope that I can have him on the program soon. Um, and uh, again, it's uh, Living in Spanglish with uh, Ed Morales. You can read my work at edmorales.net. It's WBAI 99.5 FM. And now I'm going to just play a couple of songs. Um, to, uh, <clears throat> to cue the end of the program. Uh, thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in September.
said nothing, someone you all have seen. 